This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming along to the podcast today. It's a real blessing to have you here. Thanks for taking time if you got this because somebody shared it. Uh, Thanks to those who shared. It means a lot to me when you can take time to review this podcast on Apple's podcast or if you leave a comment on YouTube, when people share this uh, podcast via social media, what happens is like I can generally trace the fact that like, oh, so-and-so found out about this because I know somebody in their circle of influence shared it. So if you enjoy what you've been hearing on the More to the Story podcast, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd share it with people. And one thing we want to make sure you know about is that we're offering a free four-page PDF document that's a tool for preachers and teachers to use to move from exegeting scripture to then proclaiming it in a creative way. So I think you'll find it helpful. It's something I've used in my classes that has helped my students be able to become better preachers and teachers. And I want to share it with you. So you can get that by going to my website, Andy Miller III. That's Andy Miller III. Dot com, and you can sign up for my email list. And I send two to three emails a month that shares not just podcast content, but other things that I've come upon that I think the listeners of my podcast will be interested in. So thanks so much for coming along for this. Today, I have Major Jason Swaim on the podcast, and you're going to find out a lot about him and his passion for history as he's written a new book um, on the history of the start of the Salvation Army in the United States. So I think you'll find this really interesting. My thanks to my sponsors who have supported me through this podcast. Podcast, Bill Roberts, WPO Development, and Keith Waters, and an anonymous donor who helped make this happen. Thanks so much for checking out the More to Story podcast. God bless you. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm glad you come along. Today is an exciting episode because I have my friend on, Jay, oh, Major, oh, excuse me, excuse me, Major Jason Swain. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Oh, so glad to be here, Andy. Now, you have a new book out, and I'm holding up in front of the screen for those who are watching on YouTube. Under Two Flags, The Rise, Rebellion, and Rebuilding of the Salvation Army in America, 1870 to 1913. And this has just been published through Crest Books, which is the publication arm of National Headquarters of the Salvation Army. So I'm fascinated by this. Now, it's a little book. I I mean, and it's like it wouldn't take you too long to get through it, but I'm fascinated by by the subject, by the name. I want to talk through it as best I can with you. But the best thing you could probably do is go online or order a copy yourself. Now, today, we have a special thing happening that we have five copies that are available for free. I do this every so often. Thankfully, like when publishers and authors are able to help me with this. If you share uh, a link to this on your social media, to this conversation, or if you make a comment in YouTube, or the final way you could, if you join my email list at andymillerthe3rd.com, that's andymillerii.com, there's a little tab where you can go and um, you can join my email list. So if you, when this podcast comes out for two weeks after it, you can enter into the contest and you can win a copy of Under Two Flags. So Jason, as we get started here, I'm... I wanted to just curious, what is it that led you to want to write this book? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, I always was fascinated by the early days of the Salvation Army. And uh, uh, when I was stationed at the training college uh, in Atlanta, uh, I was assigned to teach Salvation Army history. And uh, we always go through those, those early British days of the Salvation Army. And then we hit America and we go forward and we kind of stay in America because that's where we are. Yeah. And this just little this this maybe 10 year period uh, 1880 to, to uh, 1890 was just as fascinating all these things happen here in yeah. America that don't happen anywhere else in the world mm. 
And then you get into a little bit more research about it and you find out that, you know, the, the official story is not the real story. There's actually some, some things that happen. more to the story. There's more, more to, to the story. And that's why the book starts at 1870 and not yeah. 1880, which is the official, uh, official welcome of the Salvation Army into America. There's yeah. actually 10 years of, of things that happened beforehand. Uh, and then there's things that happen afterward that, that, that kind of end and culminate in 1913. Uh, it, 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 it stops there. The, the problems kind of stop there. And, and, but actually and truthfully, the end really comes in 1976. And that's at the end of the book. And you'll have to read it to find out why I say that. Okay. Well, this is fascinating. And I, I, philosophically, I think there's something I want to hit before we even get into the content. You said something interesting, not happening anywhere else in the world. And I think there is something about how the Salvation Army actualizes its mission in a given context. So we take this broad approach to reality, like how the world operates, facilitate and um, live out a mission, but then it, it contextualizes itself. And there are aspects of American society that don't comport well with the structure of the army. <laughs> and so like, I think there's probably some of that comes to the forefront here in your discussion. Now, now, before we get into the content of the book a little bit more, like you currently serve as you lead the Salvation Army's work, in northeastern Kentucky, is that yeah. right? In in Ashland is where you're based, but you serve a huge area. Tell us quickly about that. It's it's eleven counties in the northeast of Kentucky, based in the city of Ashland, which is the largest city actually in the in the region. It's very mountainous, Appalachia, uh, and uh, the the core has been here for 120 years or so. Wow. Uh, uh, and uh, you actually can go visit all the sites where the, Ar where the army rented or or, or uh, built and uh we actually were just down the street for almost uh 70 years in one building and then they moved into this current building in 1996 and um they've had some, their ups and downs as all cores do uh but yeah we serve uh, this entire area total population uh probably around the hundred thousand when you take all 11 counties right. Um, uh, but, but most of it's rural out right. the country, yeah, and, and that kind of thing. It's a unique environment, but yet because of its geographic location, kind of on the Eastern side of the country, like the Salvation Army was there early, but it's, it's, I think if you were able to go through even just the history of Ashland, you'd find some unique expressions of what happened in the army. And also, you know, 11 counties, that's a huge geographical footprint. So like, yeah. There's a lot, a, a lot of ground to cover there. Now, you were able to write this book in part because you had a literary appointment, which is incredibly unique. So you served like you helped publish um, uh, national publications at the War Cry, Young Salvationist uh, or uh, Peer, and then um, and then the Crest Books, right? Was that that part of what enabled you to be able to do this project? Yeah, uh, part of it was that I was there at national headquarters and had access one floor down or, or two floors down to the archives. Uh, so it was easy to go downstairs and, and spend it a half a day or an hour or a full, I, I did a couple of full days and look through what they had there, look at old war cries, look at books that I don't own uh, that were published uh, many, many years ago that yeah. aren't really well known today. Um, uh, one particular one that is really was a, was a great resource was the 1950s uh, uh, history of the Salvation Army in the United States from, by Harold Wisby. 
Yes. Uh, Wisby Soldiers Without Swords, which is a, uh, a Harold Herbert Wisby, which is a great resource because that's still within that, you know, there were people still alive who remembered the old, the old days and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of information in that book. And that book is, is featured prominently also in, in Dr. McKinley's Marching yes. to Glory, History of the Salvation Army book. Uh, and so those two were kind of my, my base books and then filled in by others, uh, others just, just for little bits and pieces and, and, and that, that were found in other books. So those two were, were great to have. And actually, while I was at uh, National, I was able to pick up a, a, a Wisby book that was someone was giving, uh, giving oh, away. Yeah. So you I can have- find them sitting around Salvation Army buildings every now and then. Uh, I always enjoy going to uh, churches or Salvation Armies and finding their, you know, it might be one bookshelf, but there's always interesting things there uh, that have been collected through the years. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the National Archives uh, got rid of most of their library books. And so right. uh, uh, that was one great, I got a whole bunch uh, back here on the shelf of things I received, but also while I was at the training college, uh, occasionally retired officers would bring their entire collection yeah. uh, in as they were downsizing, you know, in life. And, uh, you know, I'd always get a call from the librarian and say, we got all these books, you want to come look? Yes. Yeah. And, I picked up I picked up some great some great older no longer published books yeah uh, in, in my collection so I was able to uh, I had the time uh, we were also you know pandemic wise we, right. were, we, we were we were kind of shut down uh, or at least not in the office and so I had t- some time on my hands to, to kind of go through some things uh, and then I started going back to headquarters and there were just a few of us there every day so it was real quiet. Yeah, and really a great atmosphere for for um, for writing. And then my um, um, my boss, uh, Tim Foley, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Foley, was uh, uh, editor in chief, and he really encouraged me. He said, "You know, start just start something, and if it comes, something comes out of it." And I got about the first chapter done, and I sent it around to several people and said, "What do you think? It's one chapter. What do you think?" Uh, and I got such great encouragement to mm-hmm. go ahead and and, and just write the rest, write the rest. And it yeah. changed. Our, my original, my original thought was just to write about the Thomas More affair. Right, right. But that led to so many other things. Uh, and that just that weird 20 or 30 year period of, of the early days of the army in America. Yeah. And let me jump, jump in. Bef- I want to highlight you sometime in the archives and you and I uh, saw each other there while I was spending some time in the archives. And just a th- our thanks to Susan Mitchum. Uh, you'll notice many books, academic books, uh, popular book, popular level books. Oftentimes, in the acknowledgement, you'll see her name, and you'll see archivists all around the world who have done a great job. So, like she, she did that, and really opening the door for you and and me on many fronts. So, I, what I want to what I want to highlight, like my kind of appraise, I think you've done a great job in this book, Jason. And it's not necessarily like academic research. And that's okay. And I, I liken it to one of the most successful books that has been printed in Salvation Army literature in the last 20 years. And that's uh, General John Larson's 1929, The Constitutional Crisis That Shaped the Salvation Army. Um, in that, you, you went to the, sor- the secondary sources like Wisby, like McKinley, and then some of your own research too. I'm not saying there's not any of that there, but it's not like a theological analysis. This is just trying to tell a story well 
so that people can get it. And I think you've done a great job because a lot of times people don't have time to go or find Wisby or to go through McKinley and we can keep going or like um, nickel, you go through nickel, you go through um, various booths writings and you assimilate all that and you tell a, a really compelling story because a lot of times, uh, most of the time I'd say, People don't know this. People don't know what happened in this time period. So tell us, uh, uh, Jason, what is it? Um, what are these controversies? What is it, this rebellion that happened? What is it that people don't know? I think, I think the main point, and I, I've thought about this since writing it, and, and the question boils down to, to who owns the Salvation Army? Right. Uh, really, that's really what it, it really comes down to. And you get two opposing sides, one being uh, the, the, Booth, the Booth family, but General Booth himself, William Booth himself, and him working under British common law. That's the first part. Okay. Second part is we now are across the world, which is not too much of a different thing at that time from British common law, but we have this other thing called the United States of America, and their laws are not the British laws. They're based on it, but they're right. not the same. Right, right. And so you, you get into this idea of, of, well, who owns everything? Who owns the building? Who owns the songbooks? Who owns yeah. this? Who, who can do this? Who can do that? Who can't do this? Now, that sounds kind of silly today to, to ask that, but in the 1880s, that was a very important question. Yes. Who owns the stuff or has the right to own the stuff? And that's really what, what it really boils down to. The Salvation Army came to America and had some issues early on about signing, signing things and owning things and renting things, all these things that were at the very beginning. And... It, it, it became very clear very early that the I, that what we needed to do was form a corporation. Yeah, and that was that's really where the where the crux of this whole thing started. But across the ocean, William Booth did not understand that, and and really ha couldn't even conceptualize that idea. How could we incorporate? You know, he was against it totally. Now, it, it does happen eventually. It does happen in the 1880s, but then it happens officially again in, in the 1890s. Uh, and that's where we still are today. And those corporations all still exist. Yeah. But so this is really interesting that you bring that up at the beginning. And I, the, actually, that's the analysis, I think, as the implications of the historical facts that you describe. Who owns? Okay. I, I interrupted you a little bit there. No, no, no. Uh, so that's the, that's the crux of it. Yeah. The other thing is we hadn't quite figured out the whole massive expansion of the Salvation Army that happened in those times. When the Christian mission became the Salvation Army, everybody uh, worth their salt will tell you that we had explosive growth. We were growing before, but when the name changed, we exploded. Uh, that was the that was the 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 the, the nexus of that, and it, it started, and we became the Salvation Army. And every day. Were there new orders? There are new rules or new regulations. We were. This was. This was being. This is the, that that old cliche: building the ship at sea. We were doing that, and that was yeah. the way it was. We were not ready to expand to France, to Australia, to America, to Canada, but we did it anyway. It, it just mm -hmm. happened naturally, and uh, it, it kind of got to the point where, again, 
the international headquarters with William Booth being the general in charge of all, and Bramwell being the chief of the staff, Railton to a sec, being the secretary, they were literally making this up on the fly. And so a lot of these things that happened, especially in, in America, just kind of threw them a little bit because they had never had this experience before. Right. We also got to remember at that, the Salvation Army did not just blow up out of the ground and we're everywhere like we are today. I mean, in, in, in 1879, I mean, we had Philadelphia. We had one place in Philadelphia. That's it. And by, by the time Relton shows up in 1880, there's three corps in Philadelphia and that's it. Like there's yeah. just three small areas, three small uh, chapel core centers in Philadelphia. That's it. And even when he leaves a year later, there's still only New York, a couple in in New Jersey and, a, and those couple in, in, in Philadelphia. So it's not a huge thing. It, now, by, by the 1884, it's moved very far west, very rapidly. It's moved south and west. It's all the way out to St. Louis again and, and all through Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Chicago, all those places. And then, strangely enough, spontaneously out on the west coast, right. the Salvation Army starts has no connection back to the East Coast. It starts on its own. It has its own problems and eventually gets folded in uh, during, during kind of the crisis days. But uh, uh, that's the kind of the, the strange things that happen. And we've got to always remember that the, 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 the Army was brand new. Right. Uh, when Eliza Shirley shows up, she doesn't even have a uniform because it hadn't been invented yet. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's anachronistic for us to jump back and assume that there's this like fully developed version of a denomination or movement organization that just wasn't around. And you highlight too, James Jeremy, um, uh, him, him coming in earlier than that, even, even ahead of Eliza Shirley. So then you, then you have Eliza, Eliza Shirley and her family and the Shirley family and the, the the kind of way they're expressing remember this is 1879 the name change and not just the name change the organizational change like the structural change that happened to put william booth as the autocratic leader that that change and many people would assume and say that that's a part of why why we grew so expansively but that just one year later and just two years later before george scott railton comes with the famous hallelujah lassies in to New York City. So, okay, so we, we're in this period where this is like, it's not exactly clear. And there's a way that it's not expansive. It's not like, as we say today, serving in every zip code in the United States. Um, but where does Thomas Moore enter into this? And what what is it that happens with Thomas Moore? Thomas Moore was a businessman from Britain. And he actually came to America after the Civil War, uh, American Civil War. So 1865, 66, 67, somewhere in there, he comes to America, uh, travels the country. We're not quite sure what business he was in. It's not really related in any uh, anything of what he was in, but he was some kind of businessman. And he did come to America. He went back to Britain, came back to America. Uh, so it, all in all, he had served here for 11 years in this business uh, aspect. Uh, and then he goes back to, to London and he meets the Salvation Army. Uh, brand new, it just had changed its name. And he is enraptured by this whole thing. He joins the Salvation Army. And because he had this business background, which was very common in those days, he was made a what they called a divisional officer. 
we can't quite equate it to divisional uh, commander today, right. which is what we currently have, but it's 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 kind of all the DHQ staff wrapped into one because they didn't they didn't have large headquarters staffs back then. So it, he was the divisional officer. He served in the south of London. He was in charge of all the the, the core centers in the south of London, and uh, uh, that's where he was in 1880. Railton comes in 1880, and by 1881, he's been recalled back. The army is growing so fast, uh, Booth needs his, his second in command or his third in command to come and help. Uh, and so he does, uh, reluctantly. And they look at the pool of officers in Britain, because there were none in America. Uh, right. A pool of officers in, 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 in Britain, and who has experience, who has some knowledge, ah, wait a minute, Moore has been to America. He knows the country, let's send him. And so Thomas Moore comes and uh, uh, makes some changes early on that uh, benefit the army. And he's still here in 1884, he's still here. He's leading, the, he's made some changes. The army has, in three or four years, it's grown expansively. When he shows up, it's there's 12 core, 12 centers. By the time, uh, 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 of 1884, there's 125, I think is the number. So, you, you know, we go from 12 to 125 in three years, four years. Uh, and he sees very clearly the problems with the army uh, in America. This, this whole idea of we need to be incorporated as, as we spoke of already, that the corporation needs to uh, run the things and then we can report back to London. He sees that very clearly and he sends delegations to London he writes telegrams, writes letters. Here's the problem. You can't, you know, you, General Booth, cannot own property in the United States, in every state. And, and he right. could in some states, not in every state. You are a foreign national. You're a subject of the British Empire. You cannot own property all over the country. So this is our problem. Who owns the Salvation Army? Right. Uh, and so the idea is that if we incorporate the corporation, the Salvation Army, comma, incorporated, would own everything and that we'd have a board of directors and and it'd be made up of, of officers and, and staff and, and they would just govern the legal side of it not this not the ecclesiastical side not the uh you know the growth church growth side it's just the legal side and and, and business uh and that was really the crux of it and so he gets so frustrated that by 1884, he just, he copyrights everything that he could. He incorporates everything that he could and uh, basically breaks away in, 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 a, in, a, in this, this is the rebellion part, breaks away from London and takes most of the core with him mm -hmm. uh, in the, in the 80, 80 percentile, right? 80, 90% range. They all go, they all sign on to this. But by this time, all those officers have been trained in America. They kind of understood more. William Booth was just this ethereal name that appeared in the war cry every once in a while. He had never been to America yet. Right. Uh, he was just this, the general, you know, he was, he was across the sea and he occasionally wrote a, a thing that was appeared in the war cry. And that was it. Like no one knew who he was. Right. Uh, and, 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 and there was no loyalty to him per se. So Moore sets up his own, uh, the Salvation Army of America. And when he does this, he makes himself the general of the Salvation Army and of America. 
And what else did he do that's different? So uh, Thomas More creates the Salvation Army of America. He makes himself the general. Jason, could you tell me what is it that that he does differently besides like not submitting to the leadership of the general? I mean, that's the main thing. What is it that he does differently when he creates the Salvation Army of America? Uh, one of the first things he did was he copyrighted all the symbology. So he copyrighted the war cry. He copyrighted the flag. He copyrighted the crest. He copyrighted, which was strange. It just, he just does it. And, 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 and so that's the first thing he does. He moves the headquarters. Now he had done this already, but he, uh, he kind of doubled down. He moves headquarters from Philadelphia to uh, Brooklyn. Uh, not New York City, and back then Brooklyn was a separate city uh, from New York, a city. So he moves to Brooklyn, uh, and then he starts uh, just kind of uh, making very odd decisions. Uh, uh, not, uh, you know, just because he was uh, had the title general doesn't mean he was a leader. Uh, yeah, you, you know, and so he starts and he, the other thing he does is because they're incorporated, he starts, he sets up a, basically a board of directors. And when they write the, into the corporate documentation, he basically says that everything is subject to the board of directors, uh, not himself. Uh, so he is not autocratic like uh, William Booth. He is more a, a, a leadership by committee kind of thing. Right. This will end up in about two years to come around and bite him uh, because when the, the bad decisions are made, the board basically terminates him as the general. And then we go through the next couple of years of, of back and forth and what are we going to do? And it, it eventually collapses on itself. Uh, right. uh, almost immediately, people realize this was a bad decision. I'm, almost, I'm literally... Like the day it happened, there were people like, maybe this should not have happened this way. Right. It was all, it was all passion and, and emotion. And, and uh, there were several leaders in the, in the Salvation Army who realized this and tried their best to reconcile. It took another five years. Right. So uh, one of the other things that I always find interesting is that in the Moore Army, so to speak, he had a, they practiced the sacraments and they had a, a statement about the, the church, the understanding of the church that obviously felt like that was lacking, but let's just jump ahead because we, I want to get, I love to get to Ballington too, if we have time. So, so the, all this happens, they immediately realize there's a problem. There is this heroic work, I believe that happens. And, and, and I like how you highlight it too, of Holtz. Um, and he kind of helps lead a group back. Uh, so tell us about how this comes back together, like how things are rebuilt and like what's going on in that next phase. So the Salvation Army International, now you have to, you have to start adding these tags to it because you get, a, by this time, you have three or four different Salvation Armies and right. they get confusing. So we have in America, we have the Salvation Army, we'll say International. That's the Salvation Army that's still around, we're, we're, this, which I belong to uh, today. Then you have the Salvation Army of America. That's the Moore group. Uh, we'll just call them the Moore Army for now. Okay. Uh, later on, you're going to have the American Salvation Army, right. which is another group. And then you got several other copycats that show up from time to time. So the Salvation Army International sends the next national commander, Frank Smith. Now, Frank Smith has, was, has been told, you go to America and solve the problem. Fine. Frank Smith comes to America and 
puts headquarters in New York and just he starts publishing a war cry and they just they just he starts off but he believes because this is what he has been told but he also what he believes that all who left are traitors mm. and that's a strong word but that's what he uses and so Richard Holtz uh uh met the Salvation Army in Buffalo, New York, uh, was quickly promoted. He was, a, he was an excellent, excellent officer. He was in charge of upstate New York, uh, based up, uh, up in Albany. And he was one of the ones who almost immediately realized this was problematic. So when Frank Smith shows up, Holtz leads the delegation into New York. They show up at headquarters and said, we're here to talk to, to uh, uh, Frank Smith, uh, the national commander. And they are rebuffed. They are literally thrown out of the building and called traitors and rebellious scum pretty much and do not come back. Holtz is saddened by this, but he says, okay, I'll bide my time. And off he goes. Now, Frank Smith did some amazing things. And why the book is called what it is, is because it's Frank Smith who says, we are the true Salvation Army and we are the true Salvation Army in America just a slight change there. Right, in right, right. And therefore, we will now start carrying on our marches, parades, and in our halls, the American flag along with the Salvation Army flag. So we will now serve under two flags. There you go. Uh, and that's the title of the book. So it's Frank Smith who does that. And that that's kind of odd because we think of the more army of the Salvation Army of America, they would be the more patriotic, but that's not the case. Uh, uh, it's, it's the Salvation Army International who starts this trend, and it remains so today. Uh, uh, in every Salvation Army hall and every Salvation Army chapel, on, on our marches, if we do those anymore, and anything that we do, it's always, they're always together. Uh, the cover of the book is Evangeline Booth when she shows up as National Commander in 1904. You see, she's carrying both flags. And you see the little, you know, on the Army flag, you see the little... Uh, American flag tacked in the corner. That was another another thing yeah. that was that was kind of unique uh, to America in those days. So uh, Frank Smith comes along, calls them out. Holtz bides his time. Now during this whole time, this is the middle middle eighteen eighties. Individual corps are returning to the Salvation Army. They're leaving the Moore Army one by one, slowly. You know, officers are either resigning and the people, but there's also, and I mentioned this in the book, people have no clue what's going on. The, the people, the soldiers, right. e even some officers out West have no clue what's going on. They're reading about these things and, and, and they just have no clue. And, and odd things happen. You get, you get controversial uh, telegrams that go back and forth. And a telegram goes out one day that says, Thomas Moore is no longer the general of the, of, of the Salvation Army of America. Uh, and then Moore sends it kind of says, disregard that last one. Like, yep, I'm still in charge. This goes, it goes, there's yeah. goes like four in a day. I could imagine a poor officer trying to do their, their work in 1885, 86, and they're getting these telegrams every, every couple hours, you know, uh, 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 today it'd be like getting an email every five seconds. I mean, you, yeah. you know, back and forth. Uh, I'm sure they were just flabbergasted. So uh, during that, uh, uh, Frank Smith finally is recalled back to London. He has some work to do that he's going to do. And finally, the right man is sent. And that is the, the general's uh, second son, Ballington Booth, and his wife, Maud Charlesworth, uh, who uh, come, they're co-national commanders. Uh, and they, are, they will stay here for 10 years. 
uh, they will live in America the rest of their lives, but they will stay as national commander for 10 years. They are the ones who start the ball rolling. Uh, he meets with, with Holtz and they said, we're not sure how this is going to pan out, but we'll let's work to, towards it. And a couple of years later, they create this big reconciliation day. It, it, strangely enough, it happens in Saratoga, New York, not in New York City, but, but a lot of the core at that time were up in the northeast right. of the country, in, in, in New England, New York, Pennsylvania, those kind of places. And so that was considered the hotbed of this rebellion. So we're going to do it up there. They have a big parade. They all march into the hall. You can still go to that city hall. You actually go in up, up the stairs into the auditoriums on the second floor. And the army marches, the, the Salvation Army marches in. And then the, 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 the others come in, mar they march in to, to applause and singing. And uh, there's just a, tears and there's great reconciliation that happens on that night. But not everybody's there. Uh, there's a small, very small group of, of officers who are just still not uh, uh, reconciled to this whole thing. And they start the American Salvation Army, uh, based in Saratoga, of all places where this all just happened. It's based in Saratoga by, by a guy by the name of William Gratan. And William Gratan and about 12 others start this America American Salvation Army. And then they last about 10 years and then they fold. They, he sends a letter out uh, that says, you know, we have no basis, we have no growth, we have no money, uh, we're folding. And William Gratan does not, goes away, does not enter the story until back about 1904 or 05. He sends a very large packet of documents to uh, Evangelum Booth. And he says, I have been remiss. I should have done this a long time ago. Here is the charter and all the documents for the American Salvation Army as the only member still remaining uh, of the American Salvation Army. I have, I, I have given you the authority uh, to do that with, with what you will. So mm. technically, uh, until that is absorbed into the Salvation Army International, the uh, general uh, uh, Evangelist Booth was, was the general of the American Salvation Army for a couple of years. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, it's because kind of, she had it all. Now, that whole doc, pile of documents are gone. Like mm -hmm. no one knows what happened to them. There's, there's no record of them other than we have this letter. We have the cover letter that's from William Gertam. And he so goes it's interesting, off. like you have, uh, so this group, okay, uh, it, could you talk about the group that's still in like operation a day in the DC area? Oh yeah. American yeah, Rescue yeah. Workers? Yeah. So, well, that come, that's another part of the story. Uh, so in the eight, 1890s, uh, well, I have to go back. There's, there's, there's a lot more to this. That, that, so more Lee is, is thrown out of the Salvation Army of America. Right. And- they the the board of directors can't find someone to replace him, so they they and they ask several people and they all say no and they finally get to Holtz. Back why Holtz is important, and Holtz says I will not be the general, but I will I will I will take on the the mantle of commander. And so you see documents from it. It says Colonel Richard Holtz, commander. It doesn't mm -hmm. say general. It just says commander. Uh, when when. Moore goes off to uh, New England. 
And he starts a, a group called the Crusaders for Christ. And within a year or two, he's actually thrown out of that group as well. And then he starts becoming, he is a traveling evangelist from that point on until he ends up in Kansas. And there, there is where he, he passes on. Uh, the, the Crusaders for Christ decide to, to change their name back to the Salvation Army of America. So here we go again. We yeah. have the Salvation Army International, we have the American Salvation Army, and we have the Salvation Army of America. So we have all these at this one time, and they, they stay the Salvation Army of America until, uh, that's why it ends in 1913, they stay that until the, the Salvation Army finally gets tired of it and, says, and sues them. It takes a couple of years, but they, the, the Salvation Army wins, and they are uh, uh, under orders to change their name, change their symbols, change their everything, they have to change. They become the American rescue workers. Uh, and the American rescue workers for about 50 years grew and, 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 uh, kind of, kind of did their thing and they did their thing. We did ours. They were similar, but not the same. And just over the years, they have, they have slowly, uh, gone away. They, they used to have 16 places in operation and then there were 10 and then there were four. Now there's three. Okay. Uh, they've dropped all their military jargon and terminology uh, they've, they've, they've pretty much, uh, they will not be much longer uh, in operation. Uh, but even just a few years ago, they were still wearing uniforms, uh, kind of thought of themselves as a church. It was like finding this like cousin that you never knew about when you like look yeah. them up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, their doctrines are almost word for word. Uh, they, 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 they had colonels and captains and uh, they ran, they didn't have a seminary. They, you were taught kind of in the field, you know, you, you, yeah. you, you kind of thing. And they had, at, at one time they had places all over and, uh, the, their, their general, they did have the general for life kind of thing. Uh, and he finally retired a guy by the name of Claude Aston and Claude finally retired and turned it over to his son, Sean, uh, who right after that, they dropped all their uniforms and everything. And if you look it up today, uh, you'll, you can see a picture of Sean. He's just wearing a polo shirt with, the, with, her, logo, with her logo, and he's 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 not the general. He's he's just executive director. But they're down. So, to so this is so interesting. Like what's happened? Um, I, we're, we're, we probably don't have too long to talk about Ballington, but I want to make another observation of something that a uh, way this even impacted my life. Um, the stuff with Moore that you have not until 1976, there's some changes that come about. Now, if you, you still might even see remnants of it around, but for instance, I was looking for some documents just yesterday and I found my dedication um, document, de dedication slip, uh, whatever you call it, like certificate, that's it. And as I'm looking at it, it's in, I was born in 1980, so I was dedicated in 1980, but there must've still been enough around that um, the old days in the United States, the Savage Army had a different, crest there would be an eagle on top of the crest representing america uh jason you want to tell us why that is yeah that goes from the copyright of 1884 uh more copyrighted the crest and the shield everything uh and if even our flag if you notice uh, united states flags are different than british or other flags it's just a little the star is different yeah it all comes back to that copyright now we could go back to the old one but we're used to that one that one <laughs> Uh, and so um, the crest had to change as well. And so the idea was, well, we, we don't have to change everything, just one thing to make it our own. So 
the Sovereign Army in America changed it to an eagle on top. Uh, uh, from Isaiah 41, they will mount up with wings of eagles is what it meant. But the Americans took it as very patriotic. Yeah. You know, as we have to say. So you see old pictures. You always can point out the American Salvationists. They've got that eagle on the top of, of their crest. Uh, and uh, that is in place. Uh, even when I was a kid, there were there were retired officers who still had that eagle on the top. Uh, stained glass windows and a lot yeah. of buildings, uh, certificates were still around. Uh, and even when I worked for the Salvation Army before I went to training in the '90s, we were still uh, uh, dealing with the old buildings that had the eagle on the outside uh, in some way. And and there was actually a program to to get that changed. Uh, in the 90s. So we're talking 20 years after the fact. Uh, but uh, there's, it's still around. I have pins. I have, I have all kinds of things that have that eagle on it. 1976, the commissioners uh, in the United States found out that the um, copyright had lapsed and was not renewable by, by anybody. So they quickly grabbed it up, copyrighted it, and we went, we went back to uh, the, the, uh, the crown uh crown, crown crest and that's the way it probably will once remain. again under britain we find ourselves <laughs> well it, i know it, it's more spiritual than that but it's just like it's interesting yeah. to me like even just the symbolism of it when you go to other countries that were british colonies you see some very similar um logos and similar imagery that's used so yeah so so we were always a little unique uh, uh, we still are in some ways. The the one the only thing that's really remained from that time period is is our flags. Yeah. Uh, uh, you go to any other country in the world, the the national flag might be in the hall, but ninety percent of the time it won't be. Uh, not uh, I've watched Salvation Army marches from all over the world. It's always just their the the army flag. Right. But, but if you see one in America, it's both. We, we you, know, you can go back to a podcast that I've done with uh, my brother, Dr. Nathan Miller, where he he makes this a subject of his uh, his dissertation, where he talks about music and the way music incorporates and facilitates nationalism. And he has a lot to say about the flat use of the flag. So you can and, and even sociologically what happens with that. But go back to my podcast. You can find it at my website for that. Again, I'm with my friend. Uh, Major, I almost said Captain Jason Swain, and uh, who serves in Ashland, Kentucky. All right, we don't have too much longer, but I would really love for you. Can you give us like a, a short version of then what happens with Ballington? So we have Ballington who comes in, he helps restore the groups in the 1880s. Then we have this kind of like unified front, this charismatic leader, he and his wife Maud. But obviously, they come into um, they come into similar trouble. This is a, a structural issue. And that's what Moore confronted as well. That was Moore's challenge. But what was that challenge? And then how did that get resolved? Uh, quickly, Ballantin comes in and he is given broad powers uh, to do whatever needs to be done. They reconcile in 1889 and all is well. They build a brand new, beautiful uh, headquarters building on 14th Street in New York building. It even had a cannon on the top that they fired at noon. I, I would love to have been there when that first happened. <laughs> uh, and uh, 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 they, they, they build, rebuild, and the army is growing. And, and William Booth comes finally for his first visit. It doesn't go that well. Uh, William Booth by this time was 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 kind of cranky and crabby kind of guy. He was older, and uh, anyway, uh, it doesn't go well. And there's ideas that America has gotten too, uh, to use Booth phrase, Yankee doodleism has has infected has infected the army in America. But he loves it. He speaks to capacity crowds everywhere he goes, and uh, it boils down to a family squabble 
really, uh, there are some structural issues that they still still dealt with, but there was really down to William Booth, Bramwell Booth, his son, and Ballington all had family squabbles, as the whole family does. And it gets to a, a head uh, in, in 1896. They've been there, they've been there 10 years by that point. They want to stay. They, they see the possibilities and that kind of thing. They become American citizens. They, they live in New Jersey. They, 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 you know, and so uh, they almost lead a second rebellion away from the Salvation Army International. But there are so many people who remembered the first one, because it was only 10 years previous, that the officers want nothing to do with it. Right. And they finally um, uh, leave. Uh, William Booth comes for one more visit and uh, there's a, this happens later on. And uh, there's a great, it's a great quote. It says, uh, they, meet, they meet at a hotel. No one knows what the, what the meeting was about, but it's, you know, we met, we prayed and we parted forever. That's the, fra- you know, the phrase. Yeah, and, and, and that's the way it was. Uh, Ballington goes on to form another group, uh, called the Volunteers of America, still around. Uh, and he is their first general and will be so until he uh, passes on in, uh, in the 1940s. His mod will take over and then their son will take over. Uh, and then they change uh, their structure a little bit. They drop all their military stuff early on in the 50s. Uh, and they, they're around, they still grow, they grow, they do what they do. Uh, and they celebrate that early, those early days. And you'll, you'll see pictures of them. If you even look on the, um, yeah. Volunteers of America, Volunteers of America. Site, you'll see pictures of about, and they'll, you can notice their, their crests on their, uh, you know, they, they, and they say we're, you know, they came from the Salvation Army. Yeah. So there are, there are American cousins, there you go. uh, and they do what they do. And, um, uh, you know, but they, again, they, they dropped a lot of their, uh, ecclesiastical stuff pretty early on, and they're just now a nonprofit. Right. And they were, their original name was the American Salvation Army. Is that right? No, they were always the Volunteers of America. Didn't they? I thought they started, um, maybe I have this, I thought they had a different title and then they, there was a lawsuit. But anyhow, um, still, like they had these concepts. And now, you know, Alan Satterley has a couple of articles that were really interesting. I think you know about them that where he, he looks at like what's happening at these groups now and he sees extremes that you, we'd want to avoid. And I thought that was, a, you know, you know, decades ago that he wrote this so you have um he says you don't want to we don't want to be just like the volunteers of america that become just a charity but we also don't want to be just the uh uh rescue workers american rescue workers either where they just kind of fold away into obscurity but what do you think of that like that that those comparisons like as far as identity today for the denomination yeah it's 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 fascinating that the having all the advantages in 1884 the salvation army of america should have should have just cleaned up and still been here today yet within five years they're gone Hmm. uh all the growth that happened in the american rescue workers you know here we are uh, 100 years later and they're 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 not even i can't even say say they're a shadow of themselves there's three three places left yeah they're pretty much gone volunteers america are still around but they dropped all of their uh the religious stuff and they're just a they're just a charity that that operates you know around the country here and there but they're 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 not seeing much growth at least you know they're not opening new offices what they have is what they have yeah uh uh and other and others like that there's uh, there was a a progressive salvation army in the 1890s they 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 never they barely lasted 10 years 
uh, all these the American Salvation Army, you know, you know, lasted for a little while and and they folded. They didn't have the background. So it's interesting to me that the Salvation Army International, even though coming in at that disadvantage in 1884, is what it is today in America yeah. and around the world and around the world. Uh, 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 you know, ca call that spiritual blessing, God's hand on us, possible. You know, that's true, or just that we stuck to our guns. We had, you know, we stayed within our structure, and uh, and we go from there. Uh, I was speaking to someone recently, and we were talking about uh, the Salvation Army and, and and the mission. And I said, "Listen, the mission's never changed. The methods have changed drastically. Even in my yeah. time as an officer, the, the 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 methods have changed, but the mission remains the same. And it was the same. It was the same in 18." 1880, it was the same in 1890 and all the way through, you know, the times have changed and our methods have changed and the army has changed a great deal. Uh, but we still serve people in the lowest stratas of society all the way up uh, yeah. to the multimillionaire. It doesn't matter to us uh, where you come from. We serve yeah. without discrimination. Yeah, it's beautiful. There's, um, I mean, I, I've been, I've been one who's, who's talked about, um, the challenge that we have with understanding our identity and wondering if there there might be a time where I, I said just recently it's either accountability or division and I think that this is like well, the reason I say that is not because like um, I'm suggesting that the, the corporation changes but it what makes up a group an entity um, is it only based upon the things that we do um, or how we're incorporated or is it what we believe and I think that that's where. That's right. I think that that's what would make any change that would happen. I mean, my desire would be that there wouldn't be any change. I think it'd be very, very hard corporately to make that happen. But at the same time, I think that requires um, leadership to to institute accountability. Like, so if you just decided, you know what, I'm gonna, you know, start. I'm gonna have the Salvation Army in Ashland not believe in uh, the Trinity anymore. Well that's moving away from the mission. And that's, I think that that's the heart of what I've been saying. Um, and the contemporary application is when you move away from the mission, that's where it, we get in trouble. Yeah. My one, my one critique would, would be that we have got to stop. Oh, I might get in trouble for this. We might, we've got to stop trying to be like other churches. That's, that's where we've gotten to a lot of trouble. Not, I'm not talking doctrinally and I'm not talking just, just, we need to be who we are. Uh, and I see so many people saying, oh yeah, but they do, they got a thousand people and they do all this stuff and they, they're, they do this and they do that. And I'm like, okay, that's them. Why do we want to be like them? You know, mm. other than, is it just about numbers, you know, or, you know, let us, let's, and, and so there are people like, well, we got to drop all the uniforms and drop all the terminology. And I'm like, nope, we need to go the other way, you know, and, and, and go back to how we used to talk about things. If there wasn't a phrase for it, we created one. Uh, you know, you know, and uh, it, it's so funny. I was talking to a friend of mine about tithes and offerings, you know, and he says, what do you call this in the Salvation Army? He said, tithes and offerings. He, sa he said, no, 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 no. You guys got a phrase. I said, oh, I said, the envelope is your cartridge. And when you throw it in the offering plate, it's, it's firing your cartridge. He was like, so that's, and he was, he looked at me, that's so cool. I wish we would say stuff like that, you know? And I'm like, anyway, that's my yeah. one. I think, yeah. I think we I this see, isn't I, a time to debate necessarily, but I, I think like my challenge is like when you get to a place where you always have to say, um, I'm the core officer, which is like being a pastor or like I've noticed a lot of like um, uh, 
social media from NHQ, IHQ will say things like, often it's putting things in parentheses. Mm-hmm. It's like, we really, if we're having to put things in parentheses, maybe we've lost the opportunity to really create a new way of thinking about things because we're, let's just, let's just say what it is. But you and I, maybe we can have a podcast about that some other time. I don't disagree with, uh, with leaning into our heritage and leaning into what we have. And certainly your book has done that for us really in a helpful way. And look, I just recommend people to take some time to read it. You'll see that it's really well documented. Um, like he did his research. He had that time during COVID to look into this. And it is important to see, I think, and I know we agree on this, Jason, like how God has led the institution that you and I have been a part of, you know, for so long and how it also should be encouraging the other movements too, other movements that we believe the Holy Spirit's active in is that if God, the Holy Spirit is at work, you know, there, he uses messed up people, (laughs) he uses controversies, and even in the midst of like really challenging times, uh, God is at work. So anything, any last thing you want to say, Jason? No, I, I, you know, buy the book. I, I get nothing out of it. So, uh, <laughs> you, you know, I would, I would love to get a note that said we're, we have to do a second printing. That would be awesome uh, uh, to me. But, uh, uh, you know, it is a, it's, a, it's an easy read. You can go through it. It's uh, a friend of mine said it's fast moving, just like the early days of the army. And that's exactly true. We were growing beyond what we even knew about at the time and uh uh read it you understand you know you know send me a note and ask me questions i'll I'll try to try to answer them the best i can yeah invite jason in to come into um you could just do it via zoom or you could invite them to to fly in and make a presentation to um an advisory board or a core or a youth group or any i think it's just a fascinating story we might as well tell this even it's a little it kind of shows some of our warts you know but it's worth sharing it and have them come in and share i think it'd be a great thing Jason, thanks so much for your time. Oh, I forgot the more to the story question. What's more to the story of Jason? Uh, I don't know. I I serve as a sergeant officer, so oh come on, is, I don't I don't know. Uh, uh, well, what's something I, you like to do? What's something that people don't I'm, uh, generally I'm, know I'm about you? On, I'm working on a few other things, but uh, my time is really taken up here at my core, uh, doing core officer duties. As as I'm not married, so I do everything here myself. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, 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 I love history, so I, I uh, uh, not only army history. I love I love uh, American history, so I'm uh, I, I get involved with some some uh, uh, here in, in, in this area. Ohio, it's Ohio, Kentucky, uh, West Virginia, uh, pioneer days kind of thing. There uh, it is, which are, which are which are fun and uh, you dress uh, up. I, I do sometimes, and if you look at my Facebook page, you'll see me at Mount Vernon where I I, I served as a volunteer for a couple of years. So. Uh, uh and still do did you play uh, a character no no i was just i was just a general general person uh helper helper we would say you know helper uh the official term is wayfinder i, I just love that uh, uh i would just stand on a, on a corner and point people to the right direction you know and, and that kind of thing uh, uh but I, I enjoyed it it was fun it was something out of my comfort zone uh to a point and uh, uh, I miss it a, a lot, but uh, I'm, I'm getting involved in some stuff around the area with a little bit different time frame, but, uh, but it's still kind of fun. That's great. Well, Jason, thanks so much for your time. It means a lot to me. Uh, thanks for sharing the book. And, and remember, you can get your copy. So check that out with one of those ways that I offered earlier where you can share a link, you can make a comment, or you can join an email list and you can win an opportunity. You can get an opportunity to win a copy. Thanks so much, Jason. God bless you. All right. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Randy.